You're listening to the Denver Real Estate Investing Podcast, where it's all about helping you grow your Denver real estate portfolio. Here's your host, Chris Lopez. Hey everyone, Chris Lopez here, and today we're going to discuss uh, the market trends for March, plus some other interesting data. I uh, don't have to tell everyone out there that uh, we've had a very interesting month since the coronavirus you know, hit the U.S. and created all this chaos. So definitely ask, ask questions as I go through this data, because my thought with this, a lot more webinars I'll be doing here for the next probably couple of months as we're you know on a shelter in place for limited, you know, limiting our time out in public is rather than just doing a bunch of podcasts where I record those by myself or not live, might as well do a whole bunch of them live since, number one, I'm at home, already getting a little cabin fever, so it's nice to talk to people a little bit. And I think a lot of other people are at home as well, so that way we can ask questions. So definitely feel free to ask questions and keep your eye out for a lot more webinars that we'll be doing here the next, you know, through the rest of April, May, I think. So getting into the stats here for March, actually, before I get into the stats here in March, I want to talk about um, why the Denver average home price may drop in the second quarter here. And I'm taking this data from a uh, from an email that Lon Welsh, who's the founder of Castle, he sent out a few days ago. And it's really, really interesting data that he compiled here. So I'm just kind of going to reiterate it and give you the data because he's talked about this in the past using some examples uh but now it's you know very relevant with what's going on and you know the i guess the recession that we're heading into so the way to look at this a good example and actually let me pull up my fancy thing to block out some of the powerpoint right now so to preface this before we start going in these numbers here uh a big impact as to why we might see the average price drop in Denver is going to be the jumbo loans. So jumbo loans are loans above the conforming conventional loan limit, which I think is around 575 in Denver. And basically, again, I'm not an expert, but what I've read from headlines and talking to lenders is that the way the lending world works is those loans that are less than 575-ish, those are backed by you know Freddie and Fannie Mac and May and Ginny Mac. And they can be sold to secondary markets and they're, you know, um, guaranteed by the government. Jumbo loans are not guaranteed by the government. And so right now, a lot of the investors, the people buying bonds, the mortgage-backed securities on Wall Street, they want to have mortgage or they want to have government-backed loans. So right now, we're seeing a huge crunch on jumbo loans. And I don't think that's really going to affect any of our investing standpoint, because I've yet to meet any investors that have a rental property that has a jumbo loan on there. I'm sure there's some out there, uh, but not uh, any of my clients or people that I work with. Now, some investors may own houses for the personal residents that have a jumbo loan, but for the rental properties we're buying, um, you know, that's just not a huge impact for investing. But we may see headlines saying that the prices are dropping here in Denver. So a good analogy to start off with, uh, to take it one layer away from real estate is to imagine that you own a car dealership. They basically sell two types of cars. They sell a basic entry-level car and then they sell a luxury car. So let's say last year they sold 50 entry-level cars and they sold for $20,000 a piece. So that means you had a total of a million dollars in sales volume. So, you know, $20,000 purchase price times 50 cars gives you a million dollars in purchase price. So that's, you know, uh, one car they sell 
The other car they sell is a luxury car. Now, the average price for luxury cars are $100,000. You sell 50 of those as well, and so you get a total sales volume of $5 million. So you put those two together, and you'd have a total sales volume of $6 million. Divide that by the average number of cars sold, which is 100, and then you have a $60,000 average purchase price. And so again, that's 50 cars at 20,000 and 50 cars at 100,000 gives you uh, a 60,000 purchase price over those 100 cars sold. So very simple math, just kind of get the concept down. Now let's say next year, and this is going from, you know, basically 2019 to 2020 to mirror, you know, what's happening year over year. So that entry level car as $20,000, let's say those cars now cost $21,000 due to a 5% appreciation rate. But now the market isn't selling jumbo loans because there's no loans for people to buy uh, luxury cars with, I should say. And so, therefore, everyone's going to buy entry-level cars. So you have uh, a new price of $21,000 for entry-level cars, you sell 100 of those, and you have a $2.1 million sales volume. Now, for the luxury cars, even though those have appreciated, you know, let's say, say 2% from $100,000 to $102,000, but if you sell zero of them, well, you still sold the same number of cars. Both cars got more expensive, but since you're not able to sell the luxury cars for the you know, non-existing luxury car lending market, a.k.a. the jumbo loans in real estate, What's that do to your average price? Well, since you only sold entry-level cars, your average price is $21,000. So it's the exact same because that's all you sold as entry-level. So even though from 2019 to 2020, prices went up, the average price went a lot lower. So the average price went from $20,000 to $21,000 entry-level cars. But since you sold none of the higher-end stuff, that average sales price went from $60,000 to 21,000. So that's a huge increase, or I'm sorry, a huge decrease, and would also make for some good headlines. So that's the the conceptual part of that. And let's flip over to real estate. So these are taken just some, you know, rounded rough numbers from the Denver real estate market. So they're not exactly, but they're pretty close and just meant to be simple math to show you what may happen to prices. So in 2019, let's just say the, you know, the entry level home, you know, the kind of the average first time home buyer price. And this is also what, what a lot of investors are buying. The average price for, you know, lower end condos, lower end townhomes, you know, houses below $400,000 and so that's the type of stuff that really two people buy, investors and a lot of the first-time home buyers. So the average price was around $350,000 for that price segment. And about 10,000 uh, properties were sold last year. Now, if you look at the luxury, and that average price in 2019 was about $900,000. Well, if you have $900,000 in homes and you sold 5,000 of those, that gives you $4.5 million. Again, this is 2019 before we saw this craziness in the market. So the average price in 2019 was about 533000 across those 15,000 uh, homes sold. 
Now, in Denver, I think we average right around 50,000 single-family properties sold a year in Denver. So this is not the whole market. This is just kind of showing you the two extremes of the market, the, the lower price property and the more expensive luxury-priced homes to show you how this can affect the average price. So again, we sold $350,000 homes in 2019, about 10,000 of them. Luxury, 900000 the average price, so about 5000 So going to the next slide, or the next uh, data slide here. Now let's compare the 2019 prices to the 2020 prices. So let's say we got that average you know, uh, price for the first-time homebuyer ban. In 2019, they were $350,000. They appreciate 5%. And as we'll discuss in a few minutes, we're still seeing price appreciation, you know, at least through March. So now that average price in 2020 is $367,500. So that's 5% more than that $350. And so probably we'll sell the same amount of homes in that price band this year. Um, now, obviously, we'll be selling less in, you know, March and April and maybe May. But probably the same amount will still sell throughout the entire 12 months because there's a lot of pent-up demand on there and first-time home buyers and investors want to buy those properties. So let's say also 3% more of those homes get sold. So we go from 10,000 to 10,300 in total homes sold for 2020 in this 350, 367 price band. So that gives you a sales volume of about $3.7 million. Now with the luxury homes, let's say they appreciate 2%. So they go up from $900,000 in 2019 to 918 in 2020. So that $18,000 is a 2% you know, price appreciation. Now in 2019, we sold 5,000 of them. I say we, Denver sold 5,000 of them approximately. But since we're having you know, the jumbo loan issues, and from what I've read, those will probably get worked out, but it might be a month. It might be three months. It's just the, you know, the bond market's crazy right now. So we can assume that we might sell less of those this year because people aren't buying the loans on the investors. Therefore, mortgage lenders can't give those home buyers loans to buy those properties. So let's say Denver sells less of those properties this year. So it goes from 5,000 to 4,000 homes sold. So that's a 20% reduction in sales volume. So even though those prices went up, but we sold about 1,000 less properties, that average sales volume is $3.67 million or so. So what that does then is it takes the average price of the 2020 homes down to 521. And we said on the previous slide that in 2019, the average price was 533. So this is where we have to stop and think about it for a second. It's a little bit confusing because even though both of those home prices increased. The first-time home buyer and the luxury homes, they increased. But since fewer of the luxury homes were sold, it actually really drags down the average price. So the point with all this is, uh, is to take away that you probably will see some headlines, you know, Denver Post and other art of, uh, papers and websites out there that the average home price in Denver is falling. And the average home price very well may be falling, because if we don't sell a lot of stuff in the upper end of the market, that's going to really have a drag and push down the average price. But does that mean that prices aren't or properties are not appreciating? Not necessarily. 
And this, we actually have to dig in the data to see what these different price bands are doing as far as like first time home buyers, you know, trade up buyers, luxury buyers. I forget all the exact names of them since we mostly work in the you know first time home buyer entry level stuff. But there's different price bands for homes, and that's where we have to look at hey, what's the average on these homes, and then what's the sales volume compared from this year to last year, because that's going to affect the average. Like I said, since I know no investors who are investing in luxury homes for rental properties, that probably shouldn't concern us. But when you do, or if you do, see headlines or articles about the average home price dropping, dig in some more. Obviously, we'll be talking about this you know, every week and every month for the next while. Uh, so we'll keep you up to date on information here as well. But this is why you actually may see prices drop. So again, going back here in 2020, will be an average of maybe 521, which is less than that 533 average price in Denver. So we still sold, um, you know, roughly the same amount of homes, a little bit less. But what happened was the volume dropped, and then we sold less than the higher end, which is going to push down the uh, average sales price. All right, so if you guys have any questions on that, definitely ask me and let me know. And if there's any agents out there listening to this, uh, they, he, uh, your cast also published a really interesting uh, article, just an internal for their agents, on what may happen with agents, uh, gross commission income, and how the changing prices affect agents. So it's actually really interesting data. I won't go into it on this podcast because this is all geared towards investing. But if agents are listening to it, you want to see it, just email me. I'll be happy to forward the email to you. It's just interesting data talking about uh, what agents do, you know, what part of the market and the agents shift, who loses, who grabs market share. So for me, for my business, I found it helpful, and it's found it very enlightening as well. All right, so that's the first half I wanted to cover here. Now moving on to the second half. I want to talk about the actual stats from March 2020. Now, this is going to be along the same lines where I cover you know, every single month on the podcast, which is comparing the stats for the previous month. So if you've not you know, heard me cover these before, I always like to compare March 20 to March 19 or month to month. So year over year versus this month versus prior last month. Because Denver, we have very well-defined seasonality patterns. And the market in March is different than February. And it's different in January. So if you compare year over year, you get a much more accurate picture as to how the market is doing relative to that time. Because March is usually one of the hottest times uh, for selling properties in Denver. Because the weather's getting nicer uh, a lot of home buyers are wanting to sell and buy new properties then. That way they can move during the summer, so when their kids aren't in school. So we have a couple patterns there that really impact the market. So that's why we like to compare year over year. So I have a slide up here from DMAR, so Denver Metro Association of Realtors. And they just, uh, every month, they take data from RE Colorado, which is their MLS, they compile it, they publish it, and it's just great data. And they always get it out on like the second day of the month. So we get it really quickly as well. And they do a great job of compiling it. So you're seeing that slide here. Uh, you can download the whole pack if you really want to you know, nerd out on it. But I have a few data points that I like to look at and discuss. So looking at active listings here, and that's this first row, we'll compare March 20 to March 19. So we have about 5,700 
76 properties, so 5,800 approximately this March, compared to about 6,300 a year ago. So that's what a 500 property decrease as far as active listings on the market. So what defines active listings is that's everything that's the new listings, subtracting out properties that are under contract or sold, and also properties that have been withdrawn or expired by the sellers. So the reason we're seeing a drag down the listings, because that's down about 8% from the year, is because we've seen a lot more properties withdrawn than normal, which makes sense. I mean, if you put yourself in your typical homeowner's shoes, if a lot of people are working from home now, their kids are home from school, everyone's at home now, you know, what, 24 hours a day, basically, or 22 hours a day for the most part, uh, they don't want a bunch of random people coming through house for two reasons. One, if they're trying to work and their kids are trying to do the virtual school work, they don't want to leave their homes because it's just, it's, you know, it's a pain in the butt for their work day and school day. But also they're just, they don't want random people coming through their house for health reasons. So if I were selling my house right now and living in it, I'd probably withdraw it too, because I don't want a bunch of random people coming through my house uh, for obvious coronavirus reasons. Now, if it's vacant, that's a different story. So we've seen a lot more properties withdrawn from the market. And that's why we're seeing the active listings drop. So it's going to be interesting to see what the data is for April, um, how much the active listings are, because I actually thought the active listings would have dropped more than this. And this is just, you know, my best guess what I tell myself before I look at the data. So seeing it drop 8%, I actually was expecting bigger than that. I had no data to back it up, just, you know, my, my talking to other agents and seeing what people are doing out there. We've actually, we've actually seen more listings come on the market, so that actually helped offset the um, withdrawals. So we're actually seeing about 7% more listings on the market, so about 6,600 new listings, where we were about 6,200 listings last March. So on the slide here, they say pending. For some reason, RE Colorado MLS changed the word under contract to pending. So under contracts are down. So we were about 5,400 properties under contract last March. Now we're just under 5,000. So down about 7.5%. So no big surprise there. Fewer properties in the market. Um, I also know, you know a lot of contracts have fallen apart. Like we just give you guys an example. Uh, I guess probably about six weeks ago or so, you know, uh, we had put an offer in on an investment property we like, just a really good cash flowing condo in Aurora. Uh, we put in a good competitive offer, but we lost out to a cash offer that was higher price than ours. So great. That's just the way it goes sometimes. Uh, we're not great, but whatever. That's just the way it goes sometimes. And then, I don't know, about two or three weeks later, the agent reached back out to us and said, hey, the cash buyer you know, fell off. And this was right after the stock market just tanked. So, you know, we don't know the story to it, but we're assuming, hey, it was all cash. A lot, you know, maybe it was in the stock market or maybe didn't have quite that much cash anymore. So he canceled the contract. And the agent reached back out to us because, you know, we had done a strong offer. And we actually had done a deal with its agent once or twice before as well. But they had an automatic, they'd already taken a backup offer weeks ago. And that agent did not think that backup offer would move forward with it. But they did, so that backup offer had first right to go under contract. It's just an automatic contract provision. Went under contract on there, 
And then we just heard, I think it was Monday, it's so like two days ago, that that buyer fell out. Um, I think it was, I think the agents of that buyer got furloughed, their job got furloughed. And so that contract fell out. So she called us back and said, hey, do you guys still have a, you know, a buyer that wants to buy it? We said, oh, yeah, you know, it's a great property. Numbers make sense. Um, so we're going to grab that property. So I use that example because that is not uncommon. We are not the only agents to experience that. I've heard that from other agents as well. Um, and we've had a couple deals fall apart just for the same reasons. Like, you know, the economy is just, it's wonky right now. Like it's not doing great. So I think we're seeing a lot more in the contracts for that or falling out for that reason, because people are either getting scared or, I mean, people had a job two weeks ago, they don't have a job today or they're furloughed today. So it's a lot of uncertainty in there. So the number of properties closed, we're down about 5% over last year, or over last March, so about 4,300 this March versus like 4,500 and change last March. So, uh, you know, kind of goes with the other stats on there. Average home price went up. It's about 7%. From last March, so last year the average price was about four seventy eight. The average price this year was about five thirteen. The median price was up about seven percent and change as well. So the median price was about four fifteen last March, and now it's about four forty six this year. So I'm not a big fan of either of the stats to really get accurate pricing details, but it kind of shows you the overall trend of the market. Now remember the averages where you take all the properties. Add up their total sales price, divide up by the total number of properties. The median price is, hey, what's that property right in the middle? If we sell 100 properties, what's the value of the property at, you know, 50 or 51? And so that's more, hey, basically what's right in the middle there. So both of those going up, no surprise there. Um, I don't think the market was going to appreciate 7% from last year. I thought it'd be a little bit lower just from the general trends, but goes to show it's still a very strong market. And, you know, we were just kind of back to what we have been the last few years until we hit the, you know, coronavirus brick wall. So it'll be interesting to see how the April numbers pan out on there. Uh, days on market, they've dropped a little bit. Yeah, no surprise there. Uh, close price to list price. So what this is looking at is like, what's the original list price to the property? So if the property is listed at $100,000, and then they drop it to $99,000. Then it goes under contract. They look at the difference there. Hey, that's a you know $1,000 difference or a 1% difference. That would be the closed price was 99% of the list price. So in March of 2020, the ratio of closed price to list price was 99.34%. Now in March 2020, it was 99.85%. So it was up five tenths of a point and i'm not a stats guy but 0.5 percent is pretty insignificant to me so i don't think that's a big change so right there i'm just highlighting this because it shows you know we're not seeing discounts in the market yet if anything prices actually sold a little bit closer to list price than they did a year ago uh, so no major discounts happening yet all right let me look through my other notes here If you guys haven't seen the headlines as well, a lot of the iBuyers have suspended operations in Denver and also a lot nationally. So the iBuyers, those are like the, the big buyers, the the Zillow iBuyers, where they're basically doing their, their fix and flips, the Zillow, the Redfin, Open Door, 
I forget some of the other big companies, but I know those are three big ones. Uh, they suspended all the operations here in Denver. And for what I can see from headlines, they've pretty much done that all across the country. And not just they're stopped buying. Uh, it sounds like, too, a lot of the properties that are in a contract, they just cancel those contracts as well to exit. And my guess into that is because that's the uncertainty into the world right now. They don't know, hey, great, we're buying it now. If you guys haven't seen those numbers, a lot of those companies, at least Zillow, they basically sell properties at a loss. They buy it at $300,000. Maybe they sell it for three ten dollars or three twenty. dollars But when we factor in all the fees of selling real estate, all that, oftentimes they're losing money. But from my understanding, they're doing that to kind of gain market share. But also that's their loss leader to get other avenues of income coming in, of selling leads to agents, of getting mortgage business with their new mortgage uh, side of the business, uh, with just kind of getting more business from other uh, facets of it. So it's like a grocery store selling milk for a cheaper price to get people in the door. Well, you know, that's really tough to do if prices are dropping. You know, it seems to make sense that the properties are appreciating a lot. But if prices are dropping, it does not make sense. And also, I'm assuming they're going to have liquidity issues as well. Um, I know a lot of these companies, they had a lot of cash or a lot of investors. I'm very curious to see how those numbers are coming in as well. Um, like Loftium, for example, go off a little tangent on here. Loftium, they're, I think they're a startup out of Seattle from, I don't know, two years ago or so. They're a fairly new startup. And they're the company where they are... Uh, been going around. I know here in Denver, I've talked to quite a few landlords, more than I thought. They've come in and they've signed leases with the landlord. So if you're, if I'm a landlord and I have my rental property, I've got my single family home in Denver and it normally rents for $2,000. A lot of times Loftium is actually paying above market rent. So I've, I've heard cases where it's based, hey, great, it's worth $2,000. They're getting rent for $21 or $22 a month from Loftium. So above the average market rent. And what Loftium does then is they've got a process for getting a long-term tenant in there, and then it becomes that tenant's primary residence, and now that tenant and Loftium can legally Airbnb out the property and stay within the rules of Denver. And so they're able to pay a higher price to the owner for rental income because then they're airbnb it, and they are keeping the difference. Now, I believe some of the, you know, I don't know quite the details, uh, but I've talked to at least five investors and landlords that I know that have done Loftium. And I read an article on Loftium on a week ago, and they just, you know, because Airbnb bookings have just pretty much stopped, uh, they're in major trouble because they have no cash coming in and they've got a lot of liabilities with all the leases signed. So it's just one example for a lot of these companies that have been doing these aggressive marketing ta- tactics. Uh, like Loftium, like the Zillow iBuying, I think we'll see a lot of that end. And just from like a business number standpoint, I'm really curious to see how that plays out here next couple months uh, when they release their financials and just kind of getting to dig through that stuff. So all that stuff is happening as well. Um, so what does that mean? Well, if there's less iBuyers out there, um, you know, in one sense, it's bad for sellers because there's less options for them out there because for some sellers, those situations are great for them. But I think that will give more opportunities here to agents and also more opportunities to investors, especially people doing you know fix and flips, uh, just because there's less competition out there. So that is you know one of the opportunities appearing right now in the Denver market is that a lot of those uh, companies will stop buying properties. Uh, the other thing that's happened, I'm sure you guys have seen the headlines, lenders have really tightened up their lending requirements, not just on the jumbo loans. Like a lot of lenders, it sounds like aren't even doing jumbo loans because 
investors, you know, Wall Street's not buying their loans. So they don't want to, if they can't sell the loans, they can't give the loans and fund them. I know a lot of lenders too, they've drastically increased their underlying requirements for FHA and VA loans. And that's often because those have some of the, the lower, uh, you know, lower down payment programs, lower FICO scores, uh, usually higher debt to income ratios. And with all the forbearance programs going on now for lenders and just a lot of these, you know, a lot of times those are for entry level uh, home buyers as well. I've seen dramatic shifts in the lenders raising those requirements. So if you're out there using those loans, um, make sure you work with a lender and understand what they're doing. Uh, because uh, what I've seen from lenders and title companies is those things are changing almost on a day-to-day basis. So punchline here um, is that the market has not gone off a cliff. Um, you know, we may see average prices go down because of that uh, selling the less higher end properties. But overall, it'll probably still go up for the rest of the year is my guess. And that's just because I'm looking at the huge supply and demand issue. But I really know that's just my best guess. I'll come back and listen to this in a year and see if I'm right or wrong. Um, and next month or maybe a, you know, a few weeks from now, we should have a lot more data from rental properties because I know April 1st, and this is, I think, going to be the thing that affects a lot of us landlords out here, is how many tenants are paying their rent right now. And so, you know, usually that April 1st, April 5th is that window where, hey, rent's due April 1st, and there's usually a grace period to April 3rd or April 5th, depending on the lease and the property manager. So I've not gotten a lot of great data yet from property managers on how many people have paid. Um, I did talk to one of my property managers for who's managing my four unit, and they said she roughly had about uh, 80 doors or 80 units under her management. And she said, I forget the exact number, but it was like pretty low number. Seven or eight people could not pay their full rent for April, due on April 1st. But they're going to do a partial payment and then, you know, pay the rest through April or May. It wasn't, and she had no one that said could do zero payment, which actually surprised me. Um, I'm sure, you know, other property managers and landlords out there are experiencing different things. So I think when we get more data here next week or two, I'll definitely share that as I get it because I'm really curious to hear how that's working out. Um, but what I'm expecting is I think we will definitely see higher vacancy because it's going to take longer times to rent. I mean, I've got a couple vacant units now, and they shouldn't take four weeks to rent, but that's kind of the way things are right now for a lot. It's a lot slower out there. People are still renting properties. I got one rented two weeks ago. Um, took longer than normal. Uh, I got two more out there, and man, that's the way it goes. It's just going to take a little bit longer and I'll let you guys know how long they take to rent and if I have to drop rent prices as well. Actually, I already did one small drop a week ago. I'll probably do another drop this week just to get people in there. So that's it for the market update. Um, again, to recap, what we're doing here while we're on you know, shelter in place, probably for April and May is my guess, is to do a lot of webinars here. So definitely be on the lookout for calendar on the uh, calendar at denverinvestmentrealestate.com. Get on the email list. I've got a lot of deal analyses coming up. We'll be doing a lot of house hacking classes as well. I want to get a lot of webinars out there around planning your like uh, real estate strategy and, and figuring out how your retirement income from real estate will come out to play. So lots of good content. And my plan here with my downtime is to work on content. Projects are on my to-do list. Um, and since I'm at home most of the time, I'm not really doing a lot of property transactions right now. A lot of other people are the same way. 
we're going to do a lot of webinars. So hope you guys can join us. Oh, and actually, I see a couple questions in here, actually. Um, so Callan says, do you have any information on how stable the rental market is? Um, no, I don't, other than what I just told you a few minutes ago. But from the two property managers I've talked to the last couple of weeks, just kind of some verbal stuff, and I saw an interesting article, I think, from the Wall Street Journal. Um, it was not as dire as I expected it to be. I think we'll learn more, you know, through the month of April. Uh, Pete says, are these stats from the six-county metro area, or are they from the entire MLS? This is for, it's a good question, I forget. This is for the 11 counties around the Denver metro area. So Adams, Arapaho, Boulder, Broomfield, Clear Creek, Denver, Douglas, Elbert, Gilpin, Jefferson and Park. So I've compared uh, these numbers to like the five counties in Denver Metro, and the numbers are all pretty much similar. Obviously, we have more inventory, more homes sold, but as far as the percentages, they're all about the same. Um, and the reason I like to use DMARS stats is because they they get them out like the next day, where the data for the five county, six county metro area, a lot of times they don't come out to like the middle of the month. Now, I could go compile it myself, but frankly, I just am too lazy to do that and don't have the, the time to do it. So I like to go with the uh, DMARS reports, and I'm not seeing a huge difference as far as uh, you know data. Uh, obviously, numbers a little bit bigger, but all the trends and percentages, they're about the same from when I've looked at it. All right, everyone. Thanks for hanging out, and I'll see you more webinars.